Hey, this is Dave Chris. I'm the pastor of We're One based out of Gateway Assembly, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that this equips you and encourages you in your faith to see Jesus more clearly in your life. Let's hit it. I'm excited to hear this Sunday, you're going to hear some of the incredible things that God did while they were away. Um, so I got away last week. Uh, our, if you don't know, we, we love, uh, my, the team that I get the privilege of leading, we love to make long-form film projects, be that feature films or, um, you know, longer series, stuff like that. And so I got away this last week because we really just feel like the Lord has been putting on our hearts the last year, year and a half to do a bigger project again next year. And so it's really, really hard in the like daily grind of just life to like really focus and like write. Because what we're talking about is somewhere in the realm of like 240 pages has to be written for this thing, right? And so like trying to do that half a page at a time in the little 20 minutes you get between meetings is really hard. So I got away last week, took my family and, got, and I just spent the day and I would like go to a park near where we were staying and I would just write. And I really just felt like as I was trying to write, um, the Lord just put this word in my heart. My heart. Do you like that? My heart. In my heart. I just felt like he said, just put it on the page. Just get it on the page. You know, when you're facing something like that, like I'm just going to, I'm going to use this sort of creative writing process and just the creative process in general as an illustration as we tear apart some scripture even together. I want to use it as an illustration for some of the things you're personally walking through in your life. I'm not going to try to pinpoint every little thing because then I'll miss something. I want the Lord to apply it to your life. But I'm going to use the creative process as an illustration for the process that every single one of us walks through when the Lord is putting something in front of us that is difficult, that is bigger than us, that we don't know how to accomplish, that we don't even know if we fully want to, but we feel a burden for it. When you're in that place, I felt like the Lord gave me a handful, three specific things on how to accomplish the hard things that God is asking us to do. You know, I, as I'm there, I'm sitting in this park and people are just running around you and they're biking around you and they're just, they're there to have a great time. And I'm there agonizing, like torturously staring at the empty page. You see, the easiest part, how many of you like, you've had to write um, a short story for an English class? Put your hand up. Like something like nonfiction, like you had to make something up. You had to like sort of tell a story, make sure there's a proper character arcs and narrative arc and give some background and context to the stories so that it feel good, right? So the hardest part in those moments is not finishing. When you come to the place of finishing, you have this whole story behind you that's informing the various options you have on how to end this thing, right? If the story is the story of a guy on a hot air balloon ride around the world, the ending of that story is not in a submarine out of nowhere, right? He's not in the hot air balloon and then suddenly in the next scene with zero explanation or context, he's like 20,000 leagues under the sea. Some of you actually paid attention in English class, right? Because that makes zero sense. 
Because the ending is so informed by everything that's come before it. The ending is what gives, con or the, everything before the ending is what gives context to the options you have for the ending. Are you with me? Touch your neighbor on the shoulder and say, are you with me? See, finishing is not the hardest part. The hardest part is what? It's one of the hardest parts. I think we're going to get into three things that I find really complicated. But man, starting is so difficult. It's so difficult to stare at that empty page. It was so funny. I actually found, um, I must have like when I initially started writing months ago, I found like a screen recording I did of like, I was going to like, basically like it was going to be a diary. I was going to like log the first words I started writing. And I went and read it, and it was like this four-minute screen recording of like the first page of dialogue. And it's all trash. It's all been deleted at this point. It's not even, a, I, don't, I don't even know what it was about, to be perfectly honest, because it doesn't make any sense, any, right? And I went back, and I'm like, the, the hardest part, one of the hardest parts is staring at that empty page, figuring out how am I going to start this thing. I want to jump into a story that you're going to find if you've got your Bible, Matthew 14. Matthew 14, we're going to start in 22. It's a very familiar story. You should, if you've like been in the church any number of, any amount of time, you should know this one decently well. If you don't, that's okay. But this is the story of a man named Peter who was one of Jesus' disciples, one of his like homies, right? This is one of the, this is one of the OG homies that would, that would roam the streets of Nazareth, I don't know, the dirt paths of the ancient Near East with Jesus. And there came to this moment where if we just jump right in, of course, right, I'm going to read it off the screen because my iPad decided to freak out. Oh, here we go. Here we go. We got it. Verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get, get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. Jesus had just had this moment where he fed 5,000 men, not including women and children. That's the last verse you'll read before this part in 22. So they've just had this incredible moment where they saw God move in an incredible way. But the only thing that Jesus wants at this moment is to be alone. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen from all the introverts in the room? I saw, I saw this, I don't know, reel or TikTok or something of this guy. He's like, I gotta go do the stupid thing that my extroverted self committed me to do two weeks ago. And now my introverted self doesn't want to go. And I was like, Wow. Amen, my brother. That is one of the most true things I have ever heard in my life. Where are my introverts actually at? Like, put your hand up if you're an introvert. Raise your hand if you're an extrovert. Raise your hand. Yeah, <laughs> there it is. Extroverts got to be loud about it. The introverts are like... Half the introverts didn't even raise their hands because they're like, I don't want to draw attention to myself. The extroverts are like, all in the front row, if you'll notice. They're all clustered in the center. They want to be the center. They want both cameras to converge so that the back of their head is potentially in every shot. That's all right. I live with a couple extroverts. I married an extrovert. The first one we made was an extrovert. Second one we made seems like an introvert, but we'll see. He's such a sweet boy, but he's getting, I don't know. I wonder if me and him are going to tussle. But Jesus just so desperately wants to be left alone. So he goes up on this mountain to pray, it says. And this is where we pick up in the story in verse 22. 
He tells them, you'll notice, cracks me up. In verse 22, it says, Jesus immediately, immediately Jesus made the disciples get in the boat. Just go, just please, just, can you be anywhere but here, please? Can you please leave me alone right now? He makes the disciples get in the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismisses the crowd. So after he's dismissed them, he, went, he goes up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he's there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Somebody say buffeted. Buffeted. Now what buffeted means is, I am buffeted. Get it? No. This means that the waves are smashing against the boat, right? They're rocking it. They're, it's, it's a very nervous situation for the guys in the boat because the waves are buffeting against the side of the boat and they're making a very chaotic situation. 25. Shortly before dawn, so Jesus spends the whole night either praying or preeping. I mean, you know that stage where it's like you start praying, but then you sleep, and maybe you wake back up and there's a little prayer mixed back into that? We call that preeping. And guys who get really good at that, we call them preeping toms. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Edit that out. I'm just kidding. No. So Jesus spends the whole night praying or sleeping or preeping. And it says at dawn, he leaves to go where? Where's he going? gets on the water. He goes to find who? Are you guys awake? Thank you. I'll take it. He goes to find the disciples. I'm sure at this point he knows they're, uh, they're not in danger, but they're freaked out, right? They're scared. He knows that they're afraid. So he walks out to them on the lake, verse 26. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. I love that, like, the fears of men, like mankind, has, like, never changed. Have you noticed that? Like, this is still, like, if they were making movies in Jesus' day, it would still be ghosts and demons. Nothing has changed. It's a ghost, they cried out in fear. But Jesus says to them immediately, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And then Peter has this moment, and this is what I want to focus on here. That's just the context we need. Peter has this moment where you can see the light bulb go off. And so he voices it. He steps into this moment with Jesus. It doesn't work out. And then Jesus helps him fix it. That's the, the sort of cycle, the sort of story arc we're going to focus on as we apply this to our lives. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. Can you imagine that moment, like, getting out of the boat? So that Peter got down out of the boat. I think a lot of times, like, I think Pastor Dave just recently made me and PT look like bozos up here in the, in the boat with this story. And Jordan Gray came in as Jesus, if I remember correctly. He called me out upon the water. But what we often do is we sort of, we like show these tiny little rowboats. There was 12 of these homies. They ain't in no rowboat. Right? I don't know the size of the boat. I don't think it was like Pirates of the Caribbean. 
But Peter has this moment where the idea has sunk in enough that he is willingly, like, lowering himself, like, holding himself by fingertips down into the water. He gets down out of the boat, walks on the water, and comes towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he, beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Jesus, we ask that as we dive deeper into your word, your voice would be so clear to each one of us. Holy Spirit, remove the distractions from our own hearts of things that cloud our minds. May we hear exactly what you're trying to do in this moment. You're worth it. In Jesus' name, amen. The first of the three things that I, I felt like the Lord gave me, maybe some of you are going to learn some new words tonight. That's all right. I tried to simplify it and find a different way, but I wanted to do all the same letter. I wanted to do all eyes, and it worked out better with words that maybe you won't use in a normal conversation, but mostly my response to that is, get over it. It's good to learn new words. Me and Pastor Dave and Pastor Luke just had this conversation when we were on vacation, whatever that was, a month ago. He's like, honestly, do you like, like, why, like, why do you use big words? Is it because, like, you're trying to, like, be impressive? I was like, no, it's because they're the most accurate word. Think about this. Someone intentionally created that word, which means it was a replacement for the five-word sentence that you would normally use to explain it at that point. The longer word becomes the singular word that is more specific to answer the initial question that would normally take five words. Are you with me? Okay. So, calm down. Number one is ideate. 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 I-D-E-A-T-E. Guys, it's not even that big of a word. Why? You've been out of school for like six seconds and you're already having panic attacks over the word ideate. Ideate. Every creative process starts with an idea. To ideate means to brainstorm, to have ideas. It starts with the idea. Peter doesn't just see Jesus and then go, man, if he can do it, I can do it too, and just jump out. He goes, oh, could I do that? I wonder if I could do that. And then he voices his idea to Jesus, who actually gives him the strategy on how to do what he's currently doing. See, every single process, step one is ideation. It's the dream. It's the vision. It's the brainstorm. It's that daydream that all of a sudden you're like, oh man, I wonder if I, wonder if like, how many of you are gamers? Where are the gamers at? You ever have that moment where like you can't, figure it out on a campaign and you just give up, chuck the controller at your sister's bedroom door. And then the next day you're like halfway through lunch and you're like, oh, I know what to do. Have you ever had that moment? I don't have it with games. I'm not a gamer, but I've had that so many, it's always in the shower. I'm that, it's always in the shower. It is always in the shower or under a waterfall. But that one's pretty rare because of where we live. So it's usually the shower. Peter has this idea. And, and I would tell you that the, the ideation, the dream, the idea, this is the funnest part. 
This is the most enjoyable part, right? Because it's this fantasy of what could be. It's, oh, we could do that. We, oh, what if we, we could, if we just, if we just all came together, if we just, right? It's this sea of endless possibilities and opportunity, and it's so untethered to any sort of reality. It's just like, yeah, but if there was no restrictions, then what could this be? This is the most fun part. And, and to be honest, it's a completely necessary part. Like, I'm not here to say like, oh, you shouldn't be daydreaming. Like, no, like some of the most effective things I have ever done started with a daydream. Like my marriage started with a daydream. I mean, at some point, if you go back far enough, I saw this girl walk in. I was sitting in the back of the class. She came and sat in the front and I was like, God, I would like to get to know her. Could you make that happen? Started with an idea. Started with a dream. The problem is not the ideation. The problem is not the dreaming. The problem is not the fantasy, the, you know, like the, the big goal. That's not the problem. The problem is most people leave it there. Most people, ideation is the first and final step in the process of actually fleshing out the hard things that God has put in their life. I'm not going to ask for hands. We'll just let the conviction of the Lord reign in the room. But this is where hundreds of people leave something after collision or conference. It's in a moment of worship or it's a breakout session or it's a message. It's like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. Homie, keep me accountable. He's like, yeah, man, we're going to do it. We're going to do it, man. Right? And everybody's all excited. There's just this flurry of energy. Why? Because there's no reality tethered to it. And that's not a bad thing. That's where every idea starts. People going to the moon, people making driverless cars, people building airplanes for the first time. It all started with an idea. But the problem is, if you only leave it there, if that's the extent to which you take it, what you're really doing is you're showing the Lord your level of commitment to him and to the things he asks of you. Like, we watch so many people get here. I remember having these conversations in early ministry. Man, I want to do big things for God. I used to hear that phrase all the time. I just want to do big things for God. I want to win my whole school for Jesus. You come out of collision, and you're just like, ah, I'm like going to be like a secret agent evangelist at my school. And Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess by the time I graduate in 2023. <laughs> All the juniors going into their senior year just left? Is that what it is? Who's graduating in 2023? Are you about to be seniors? Is that accurate math? I'm struggling today. Struggling. But this part is so exciting. It's so enticing. Because of how fun it is, it's really easy to get sucked into it. And it, like, I, I want to keep coming back to this because it's good to get sucked into it. That's where the genesis of an idea comes from or the genesis of a completed dream comes from. 
But if you, if you leave it here, if you leave it on the table, if you leave it in your head and never learn how to flesh it out, then you're not actually doing anything with the things that the Lord is trying to embolden you with. Like he wants to give you that moment of ideation because ideas are necessary, but ultimately they are all talk. It's so easy and so enjoyable to talk about the things you're going to do for God. It's so much harder to take it further than that. Number one is ideate. Number two, initiate. It's an easy word, right? Initiate. Start. Get it going. This is really where, where the Lord was speaking to my heart last week. It's like, okay, you got this idea. The idea came from the Lord. I know the, the, the Lord gave me the idea. I know what he even asked me to do. I know what my part to play in, play in it is. But there's that moment of trying to figure out, oh, I don't, I, oh, I know, I, I want to see my whole school come to Jesus, but like, where do I even start? Like, where do I even start? And, and this is where I really just felt like the Lord was, was speaking to me last week when he said, just get it on the page. Just get it on the page. You see, Peter, he tries to get out. That's his initiation, right? He has the idea. He's like, I wonder if I could do that. Lord, if I can do that, tell me. Jesus goes, yeah, come on, my man. Peter initiates the moment. He climbs down from the boat. He steps out in the water. And the problem is, he inevitably fails. And because the few times that we've tried to initiate something that we ideated, and it reached that moment where it failure rated, we end up idea constipated. They're all stuck in there, but nothing's really coming out anymore. <laughs> Carly just shakes her head. <laughs> it's a good analogy, one you will never forget. I promise you that. Because we have reached those moments before where we had an idea, we had a dream, we felt like the Lord spoke something to us, and we tried, we tried. We did everything we thought we knew how but it didn't work. And it's so frustrating when I feel like I'm being obedient and it doesn't work. I feel like the idea was from the Lord, from the Lord, and I initiated. I put my foot forward. Because some people, I'll tell you, that's, that is, like we said, that's where you stop. Psalms 37 says that the righteous man's steps are ordered by the God, by the Lord. Like what I often tell uh, young adults is, it is so much like an object in motion stays in motion, right? And an object in rest, at rest stays at rest unless acted upon by an outside force. Hey. You see, 
you're in that place of just trying to figure out, well, where's the Lord want me to go? What do I do? What does he want? What does he want? What does he want? I have this, I have this, I have this. I don't, what do I do? What do I do? You know what I say? Do something. You better, you better do something. Because it is much easier for the Lord to redirect moving steps than it is for him to try and budge feet that are unwilling to walk. It doesn't say that a, white, a righteous man's stance is ordered by the Lord. Right? T-pose, if you're a video game person. It doesn't say the righteous man's T-pose is ordered by the Lord. Been doing a lot of animation stuff lately. It says that the righteous man's steps, the righteous person's steps, which means it is the process of initiating, of stepping out, that the Lord can then have the freedom to begin to order, correct. He, it's a lot easier for him to nudge me to the left and to the right because I'm already walking forward than it is for him to get me, you know, because I'll just keep, no, I already tried initiating and it didn't work. Nope, nope, I didn't like that last time. That was scary. Everybody looked at me funny that one time. Remember that? You remember when everybody looked at me funny, Lord? Last time I initiated, it failed miserably. You see, we, were, we took some time and we went to the park last week with Manna, and she's like my daredevil kid, but she was afraid of everything. It was like a bigger kid park that happens a lot with her. She's very kind of like, she's kind of advanced for her age, I think, and so she ends up always around older kids, and she thinks that she can do those kinds of things, and we just, I don't know, naturally feed it. And so instead of being like in the little kid park where, it should, where she probably should have been, we were in like the big kid park. And me, I'm not exactly like, I'm not the let me hold your hand through this daddy. I have great compassion for her, and I'm with her every step, but I just push her. I'm like, nope, you got it. You can do it. Come on. Nope. Don't you dare stop. Don't. You better stop stopping right now and start starting, little girl. Like, you can do this, Right? So we're out at the park, and it's this, you know, the big kid park, and she's just afraid of everything. And so I finally was like, okay, let's, we walk through the whole thing together. But even in that, I just kept, like, I would sort of let her hold my finger and make her do all the work, but she just knew I was there. Then I stepped down, and she was walking, and I just made sure she knew I was present. And each time, I progressively just sort of distanced myself a little bit more until she was fully doing it on her own. You know what happened? You know what happened after doing that, like, once? She starts going, I want to do it again. I want to do it again, dada. I want to do it again. And she just starts going around and around and just over and over for five ever. Wants to just stay at this park doing the exact same thing she was terrified of doing five minutes prior to that moment. The, the process of initiation, if you will like open yourself up to that vulnerable moment, of trying again, of trying again the thing that you failed. Of trying for the first time the thing that you don't have any idea how to do and you haven't seen anyone around you do it well, but you feel like the Lord's putting something in your heart. That was such an insecurity for me when I moved back from college back home because I felt like the Lord was telling me to do film in Imlay City, Michigan, where it's warm like seven hours out of the year. In L.A., you could just shoot whenever you want. For us, it's like, all right, guys, are we ready? Take your coats off. And all right, we got to do this, the whole movie today because the weather's gone tomorrow. 
Or in LA, they just do it all year round. And like that, that insecurity would rise up in me that I hadn't seen anyone do what I was trying to do. First timer here. And so that initiation, that, that first step is so overwhelming sometimes. And I promise you, if it's actually something the Lord is asking you to do, this part is deeply unnerving. There's a peace that is associated with it, but it is scary. Like if it's actually something the Lord is asking of you, then it will scare you in the moment that you are first stepping out and taking that initial step. But the reality is the strategies actually begin to surface once there's something out there to dissect. What do I mean by that? When there's nothing on the page, your only goal is not even a good script. It's just to get something on the page. I noticed the last time that I was writing, you know what I was doing? Is like every 15 minutes, I was checking how many pages I had finished at that point. Where are my people at? Where are my word count people at? Where it's like, you know that there's a certain word count requirement for the paper that you're turning in and you keep it, you know, you make sure it's pulled up in the bottom right-hand corner and you're just, every like 30 seconds, oh man, oh my goodness. And the minute... You could be halfway through a thought, but the minute you cross that word count threshold, command S, command P, send it on whatever you do. I don't know what the kids do nowadays to turn in assignments. What do you use? Google Classroom. Should have known that. It was like Moodle or something back in the day for me. Moodle. Like the minute you cross the threshold of the words required, you send it off. But the reality is that when you're, when you're starting something that the Lord's put a passion in you for, it's really hard to get going. You just want to get something on the page. But what I noticed this last time is I didn't, I didn't check my page count. I didn't care. I was really focused on like, where are we in the story? What else is necessary? What does this character need for this to really be a genuine arc? Like, what's the next moment of conflict that they need? When you get something on the page, if you can just get it on the page, what happens is you'll start to see new strategies of what to do with it now that it's on the page. Like if you can just get past that point of staring at the blank canvas where you're terrified and you have no idea what to do, if you can just get it on there, then from there it starts to become intuitive. It starts to become natural. It starts to become organic what to do from there. I would actually say that the, I think starting is the second hardest part. The third hardest part is figuring out what to do next. Figuring out where to go. So many of you, like, this is where you get sort of gummed up. It's like, okay, I have a dream, and I'm, I, I, I initiated, but it's like the second part of that initiation is like there's a constant barrage of like, decisions. Like, where do I go next? That is one of the hardest things when you're writing a script is it's like, at the very end, you know, they can't be in a submarine, but they could be in a submarine now. Should they be in a submarine right now? Or should they be in a hot air balloon? Is this in outer space? Are they married? Are they dating? Are they just kind of interested in one another? And they're sliding into the DMs right now. Like, where are we at? And right. There's this constant possibility 
that in the ideation phase is super exciting. It's super exciting. There's infinite possibilities. The world is your oyster. We just had graduation season, right? And how many times did you hear a Dr. Seuss quote at those graduations? And the whole point is that the world is your oyster. And then you get out of high school and you're like, oh, the world is my oyster. And I can't swim. There's a story of, the, of a Taoist farmer that goes like this. He had a, a horse, and the horse ran away. Horse ran away, and the neighbor came by, and he goes, man, what, what a bummer. What bad luck you have. The horse ran away. He goes, maybe. Next day, the horse came back, and the horse brought back with it a whole pack of wild horses, free wild horses. They come back to the house. The neighbor goes, whoa, what great luck you have. The horse came back and brought back with it a bunch of wild horses. The farmer said, maybe. What do I know? Next day, his son is working with some of those new wild horses, and one of them kicks him, breaks his leg. The neighbor goes over there, and he's like, what bad luck you have. The wild horse broke your son's leg. Farmer goes, maybe. Next day, army recruiters come by for a war that's active in the region, recruiting all the able-bodied young men. And they have to pass over the young man because his leg is broken and doesn't have to go to war. The man comes by and he goes, man, what great luck you have that your son's leg was broken by the wild horse. He goes, maybe. What's the point? The point is wherever you're at in the story, it's really hard to figure out how it's going to end. And that's really what makes figuring out which of the two options as paths to take overwhelming. What's overwhelming is you don't recognize in this moment, is the horse running away going to, like, is that going to be a good thing in the long run because it's going to bring back wild horses or is it going to kick me in the leg? And if it kicks me in the leg, did it just kick me in the leg and now I don't have a good leg? Or is it going to keep me from war, right? And we get so overwhelmed and wrapped up in these moments where we're trying to figure out, okay, Lord, I've initiated, but what do I do next? And we lose sight in these moments that God is good. That like, he is worth it and he's good and has a plan. Like, we're gonna get to this in a minute, but if you sleep this whole time while I'm talking, just making sure. And all you catch is this. This is what kept coming back to my heart. He's worth it. Like if you just take that home, I promise you that is worth the price of admission. But when we get, we get so overwhelmed by the options, we don't know which scene we're supposed to go into next. It's ultimately because we lose sight of the fact that he's good. And we, we can just recenter and recognize that if, if the... If the story isn't good yet, if I don't see his hand in it yet, then the story's not finished. Because what he writes, he writes well. The stories he tells, he puts his mark on it. Look at the story of Job. At any given moment in that, he could have gone, oh my goodness, where are we? Like, at the beginning, he's like, everything's great. And in the middle, he's like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. By the end, he's like, wow, thank you, Lord, for the blessing, right? Because at any given moment, it could look like it's all over. 
You have to keep your focus and your sight on the fact that he's good and that God is worth it. And if I can keep my focus on the fact that he's worth it, it says that Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and it says that when he saw the wind, which is weird because you don't see wind, he sees the wind and he begins to sink. He, see, he, t- he takes his eyes off of Jesus, off of the goodness of the man that he had walked with for years, that he knew personally, intimately. He took his eyes off of him, and in that moment, everything begins to fall apart. You see, what's scary is in that moment of initiating or coming to the crossroad after you've initiated and trying to choose which one you're supposed to do, what's scary is you don't know whether you did it right or you don't know whether you're going to do it right. And this is like fundamental to the creative process. See, the reality is that like you don't write the whole story. That's not your job. It is not your job to write every letter, every word in your story. It's not what he called you to. It's not what he asked you to do. It's not your job to get a perfect first draft. There's an old quote that we modify because I think the original one has a swear word in it, but we say all the time in Island, the first draft of everything is crap. The first draft, I don't care how good you are. The first draft of everything is terrible. That's why I said, remember when I went back and I looked at the the first like sentimental, monumental moment that I started writing and I'm this amazing writer who's going to get it right the first, it's not even there anymore because it was trash. I went and looked back at at it like two weeks later and I was like, what was, where were you on? Like this was terrible. Why? Because the first draft is, he's not after a perfect first draft. He's after what? Here's number three. Iterate. We ideate. We initiate, and then we iterate. No matter what, you are going to need a rewrite. This is the hardest part. Some people can get past ideation and actually try. A few of those people will try and get to the point where they recognize what's wrong with it. Very, very few of those people will do the hard work necessary to fix it. Very, very few people will get to a certain, like how many of you, if you were honest, were totally fine turning in a first draft? Doesn't bother you at all because you don't care. (laughs) There's a bunch of nodding heads like, I don't really care. Because the point of the assignment to you was not to get it right. The point of the assignment to you was to get it done. And how many of us live our lives that way? How many of you live your life that way? The point isn't to like get it right. The point isn't to come into heaven with a fruitful life and a fruitful line behind me and to have a genealogy like populated with the goodness of God because of the way I lived my life and have people in heaven because of me and to have a pure and holy life before the Lord. It's just like if I could just 
get there, you know, D's get degrees. If I could just pass, if I could just, you know, I'm not, I'm not in it. I'm not in this thing to like become like Jesus. I just don't want to be in hell forever. That's really where we're at here, right? I say this is like the vast majority of the American church. They come to church, they're a part of the church, not because they desperately want to become more like Jesus, but because the like opposite, what that means is like, no bueno. It's not palatable. See, Peter has the idea. He tries the idea. The idea fails. He gets his eyes off of Jesus. And then what happens? Jesus reaches out his hand and grabs him. What happens when you're staring at the wind, drowning, and then someone grabs your hand? Are you still staring at the wind? No. It just, there's this natural inclination where you just sort of go. It just draws your attention when some, like if you're just like, you're going to tell me if you're like just standing in, in the mall and somebody just like walks up and grabs your hand, you're not going to be like. It just naturally draws your attention. Peter has this moment where he's failed what he tried to initiate. But Jesus reaches his hand in and offers to pull him into the process of the rewrite. See, the hardest part in writing is that. It's so hard to get it on the page, and it's so hard to figure out what to do next. But then once you've done that, it's so hard to not just be lazy and go, oh, it's good enough. Nobody will notice. Like, it's so hard to look at all your hard work and just go, delete, 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 because I don't want it done. I want it right. I don't just want it to be done. I don't just want to say that I did this. I want people to look at what I did and go, wow, you didn't just do that. You did that well. Like, it's not just done, good and faithful servant. You're done. I want to hear well done. I want to hear like you put in the hard work. You lived a life of sacrifice, of covenant. You lived a life worthy of not just being here. but being a part of what we're doing here. I want to give you an illustration of this. We have that first video. Give me that first video. This was a project. Isn't this beautiful? So I had this idea for Christmas this last year. For Christmas at Gateway, I was like, I want to make an, like a 3D animation of a hall, like heaven, like corporate offices, like heaven's hallway. Play that again. So this was my initial trash pass. Isn't that hideous? But in the moment, honestly, when I first did it, I was like, that's kind of sweet. I did that? Well, I'll be. And that's better than some of you in this room could do because you don't even know where to start. And so there's a the thing where you're like, that's pretty sweet. I did that. There's the mouse and the keyboard there. Wow. But what followed, like if you throw up this picture and you can just sort of take it in for a second, it's just like 
barfy looking, right? It's just kind of gross. And so what I, what I did was I tried again. And I started adding stuff and trying to make it more detailed. And I tried to make it look a little bit, uh, a little bit more intricate. And that looked awful. So then I deleted all that and added in more things and more details to try and make it look more intricate. And that looked kind of worse and worse. So I did one of the best things you can do in any creative project. Hit delete, start from scratch. Like one of the absolute best things you can do if you're doing something creative is just like stop, just swallow that it's trash, delete the whole thing, throw the computer away, go to the store, get a new one, start over. Because you're, you're not going to like resurrect that thing. I wonder if the Lord would do that. He resurrects dead bodies. Could he resurrect like a really bad design or something like that? We should be, I don't know if we're praying the right way. But I just tried like a million things. And, and throw up that picture. The, the reality is this, this was obedience, right? The idea was initiated and it was ultimately completed. This was execution of what I felt I had the idea and the desire to do for the Lord. But I'm obsessive about certain things. And the reality is this ended up being like a 26 second animation, I think, that a lot of people probably like weren't even paying attention to, or maybe they were still getting their coffee when it played, right? I easily have over 150 hours of my free time into making that. Like, my wife was having a child at the time, and I was like, you know, we've done this before, so I think I need you to take this one. I just need you, because I got, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All the women were like, what? But she'll tell you, I was like, during that season, I was obsessed. Like every free minute I got, I was on my laptop in the living room or in our bed trying to figure out how to make this better. I started over and I started from scratch. And after the ideation and the initiation and iteration after iteration after iteration after iteration, hour after hour, this is what we ended up with. Did it work? I, I didn't want to look at the screen while it was happening. Did it work? See, thank you for the applause. I watched that and I'm like, wow, there's so many things on that that are just terrible that we really could have made so much better. But I had so much fun making that. Like I got sucked into the process because I was like, oh, if we tried this, if we just changed this, and I just kept ideating and initiating and iterating, and that would take me back to ideating, and that would take me to initiating, and that would take me to iterating, and that would take me back to ideating. And it became this cyclical process, right? You see, most of us, if we're at all willing to even try, we don't want to have to do it again. It's like if it didn't work the first time, it won't work the second time. But I find it fascinating that we all ask the Lord to continually do the same things, but we 
find it hard to do that ourselves. We have no problem repeatedly asking him to forgive the same things, repeating, repeatedly asking him to show up and do the same things, repeatedly asking him to say the same things, even though he already said it and we haven't obeyed from the last time he said it. We have no problem asking him to repeat himself, but when it comes to the Lord going, hey, I need you to try again because this time it'll be a little bit better, we're kind of like, oh, man, I already, that, that was so exhausting the last time I tried to talk to them. It was just so much. Can you please send someone else? You see, in the obedience, in the, put up the, the janky first hallway. The obedience, the initiating, that's where you actually trigger the blessing, right? I could have stopped here. Nobody was paying attention. It was a 26-second video that played once. This is the second time it's been played for people ever. I spent over 150 hours on that. That might be a lowball number. If you ask my wife, that's a lowball number. I didn't have to go to the other one, go to the prettier one. Like, we didn't have to do this. We could have done, first one, this. And if I had done this, nobody would have noticed. Nobody would have cared. It would have been fine. I would have fulfilled what I had set out to do. There would have been blessing on that because I was obedient. Because I was obedient, there would have been blessing. But you know what happens? When you're willing to be the person that iterates and iterates and iterates and iterates until it starts to become excellent, other people can get excited about it. Other people can get touched by it. Other people can get pulled into it. You see, there's obedience. There's blessing in the obedience. Obedience triggers the blessing. But iterating creates a culture around you. We've been talking about this for a few weeks now. Iterating starts to create the environment around you because other people are like, you know what? I didn't, man, I failed, but they're trying again and they keep failing and they keep trying again and they keep failing and they keep trying again. And what starts happening is a culture and an environment of excellence. The bar just starts to raise a little bit more every time and a little bit more every time because everyone in the room now wants to do their very best because it's not enough for me to just be done. I want it to be right. It's not enough for me to just like do it and be able to go, okay, yes, I did it. That's enough. See, God blesses you when you're obedient, but he blesses others through you when you're consistent. God blesses you when you're obedient, but he blesses others through you when you are consistent. When you are consistently obedient, what that begins to do in the circle around your life is indescribable but for God. If, you, if all you want is the blessing for you, you just need to be obedient to the Lord. You just do what he's asking you to do, that's enough. But I was raised in such a way, and I have this deep hunger in me for some reason, that it's like, I don't just want the blessing for me. I want to live in such a way that I'm so consistent in the things that the Lord has called me to, asked of me, put on my life. I want to live in such a way that is consistent in those things to the point that other people get sucked into it. I have watched people, like, like the people on my team in Island, I've watched people become passionate about filmmaking, 
Why? Because Lindsay Simpson was raised on a farm that made a lot of farm films? No. She was an agriculture major at first, and then she graduated like a business marketing degree or something. There was no reason for her to end up with us. But why did she? Because she was around a group of people that didn't just want to do it. They wanted to do it at the best level they were capable of. And every time they did it, the next time they did it, it was going to be a little bit better than the last time because we're going to figure out what we didn't get right the last time. And we're going to iterate between projects. And the next thing we do is going to be better than the last. And what happens is a culture of excellence. Some of you, you don't even realize that's part of what you're drawn to here is there's a culture of excellence in this house. Not that we're perfect in any way, but that we are really, really uh, in tune with the Lord the best we can to be able to go, that, oh, we didn't get that as good as we could. Let's try that again. Let's try it different next time. Man, the way we handled that conversation, overall, it was fine, but I wish I would have said this, and we're going to try it again different next time. Man, that moment of worship, like, the Lord was so good, and he poured out, and he spoke, but I just felt like if we had just hung there five more minutes, what might he have done? Let's try that again next time. If you're going to become fine with getting it done, you're never going to see the way the Lord can actually use you, work through your life, and touch other people. You will selfishly hoard blessing. And you'll be blessed. He will bless your obedience. But what I'm asking for is, what if you could go further? What if you could work to the point of getting it right? I was riding my dirt bike home yesterday, as I do on wonderful days. I got it registered as a moped, so I can legally ride it on the road. I screwed the moped plate onto the bike, pretty jank. And uh, I knew it was going to fall off. I was just trying to like get home as fast as can before it fell off. I didn't. It fell off, and I heard a clink. So I turn around, and I find the plate, stuff it in my backpack. And now I'm trying to find the bolt. I'm really agitated at this point because it's kind of the color of gravel on a gravel road. I'm just like an idiot in front of these people's houses, just with a helmet on, just going like this. <laughs> Cars are driving past me, and you know, you're just like, yep. Finally, I felt like I had the idea, I think the Lord brought it to mind, that I had bought a set of just like spare random sizes of bolts, nuts and bolts, at the house. And I was like, I wonder if there's one in there that would fit. So I just went home, got there, and I found the perfect threading, perfect size, and the right length, and a nut to match. You know how exciting this is? So you know what I did? I ran a longer bolt all the way through. I threaded a nut onto the other side. I made sure there was a washer even so it was accurately spaced and tightened the snot out of that thing. Can I tell you, that's not going anywhere now. Do you know why? Because instead of being agitated that I can't find the thing I'm looking for, I can't, I don't want to have to do this again. I don't, it should have just worked the first time. I don't want to have to go through this conversation one more time. I don't want to have to feel this hurt one more time. I went, I wonder if this is an opportunity to do it better. I wonder if this is a moment where the Lord is going, hey, I know, I know, I know. But if you will endure the hurt, I promise you, this will be worth it. That's what I want you to remember tonight. It's 
worth it. I'm going to tell you two reasons why it's worth it. Number one, it is worth it to do the things the Lord is asking you to do. It is worth it to do the hard things he's putting in your heart. Because, number one, you get Jesus in return. Look at me. This is important. So many times it's, well, if I come to Jesus, if I live for Jesus, if I'm a part of the church, can I? Will I get? Will I be rich? I don't know, maybe. Will I be poor? I don't know, maybe. Will I be lonely? Yeah, at times. (laughs) That one I can actually promise. Will I get hurt? Yeah, for sure. Will I hurt others? Mm Mm-hmm. Can I, will I find a wife? Will I find a husband? I don't know. But if I faithfully follow Jesus, will I get, I don't know. Here's what I do know. If you faithfully follow Jesus, you will get Jesus. And because we so downgrade and de-elevate the significance, because we degrade the significance of how good and how perfect and how pure and how true and how faithful and how loving he is, we miss the reality that if all you got out of the exchange was Jesus, you would have already gotten more than you could ever need. Like, he's worth it. The things that he's putting in your heart to do, the things that he's asking of you, it's worth it if for no other reason than because you will get him in return and your response to him the way that he asked you to respond respond will produce an intimacy with him that you do not currently have it will take you deeper and closer than you currently are because every moment of obedience brings me closer into who he is like it's worth it because he is on the other side not because escaping hell is on the other side not because fitting into your Christian community is on the other side. Not because the attaboy from your, your parents or your pastors or your leaders is on the other side. It's worth it because he is on the other side himself standing there. It's worth it because he is worth it. The Bible says, and I believe First Peter says that we are God's chosen possession, special possession. We are a royal priesthood. In the Old Testament, if you look, and I believe Leviticus, when God was going through the 12 tribes, 11 of the tribes, he told them exactly the amount of land in the specific geographic location of the land that they would receive. But to the tribe of Levi, to the priests, he said, you'll have no inheritance because I will be your inheritance. I myself will be your inheritance. And then in the New Testament, so that's what it said in the Old Testament about the priests, if you follow with me. It says to the priests, I myself will be your inheritance. Everyone else can have what they're going to get. You're going to get me. And then in the New Testament, he says, you're a royal priesthood. You're kingly. You're royal. All the land's yours. And you're priests. You get me as your inheritance. It is worth it because Jesus 
getting to be your inheritance was worth whatever the cost was. Like whatever you're coming to and you're like, I'm not sure if this is, if what's on the other side of this is worth the pain that it's going to cost me to walk through this and to probably have to then go back and walk through it again to fix the ways I didn't do it perfect the first time. If you're at that moment, you're like, I'm just not sure if what's on the other side of this is worth it. I promise you, like I promise you, it is worth it because he is on the other side and he is worth it. Second reason it's worth it. This is secondary, but it's important. Other people need you. You are needed. You are needed. Other people need you to succeed. Other people are not just watching your life going, oh, I bet it would be nice for them if they got through this. Other people are not watching your life going, man, it'll be good for them if they can get to the other side of this. Other people, whether they're processing it this way or not, they need you to succeed. Like they need you. They need to watch you do it well and do it again if you didn't do it well and figure out how to do it better and to do it again and to do it better, to do it well. They need you. They are watching your life. I don't always love writing, but the crew needs a script. It's not always my favorite thing to do. It's horrifying sometimes. But it's this thing that can bring us all together to really put vision amongst all of us as a unit. You are writing a script, whether you realize it or not. And other people, your crew, the people around you, they need it. They need you to finish it. I like felt this, just this point, this moment so strongly when I was writing this. Like this was the moment I couldn't shake. Some of you, you just need to know that like you, God needs you. He needs you to live. Like he needs you to live. He needs you to try again. And he needs you to change something. And he will show you, he will reach out the hand where you're drowning. He will show you what to change on your next initiation. He will show you how to iterate, but he needs you to try. He needs you to live. Some of you, he needs you to stay. He needs you to stay. You're toying with this idea of going somewhere else, of doing something you know he's not asking you to do, of, of breaking the covenant that he called you into because it's just becoming difficult. He needs you to stay. Some of you, he needs you to leave. He is putting a burden in your heart to go minister across the nation, to go work somewhere else in the state, to go minister amongst a people group in another country. I don't, I don't know, but your refusal to do anything but what you're currently doing is going to break what God is trying to do in your life and through your life to other people don't know what the specific thing is and I don't want to go down a list because I'll miss something but the point is that I promise you if you will just take a second and look back at what you felt like the Lord speak when we paused at the beginning of this time together you need to do that 
Lord needs you to do that. Other people need you to do that. Other people, you yourself, the kingdom of God as a whole, they need you to just get it on the page. Just get it on the page and trust that as you begin the process, the next scene will come and the next scene will come. And if you'll just be willing to iterate and try again, you might end up with something beautiful at the end. Hebrews 12, one through three says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. This is your specific race. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. When was the last time you did something scary, something hard, just because you thought it was what the Lord asked you to do? People are watching, cheering you on. The Lord is watching, cheering you on. He loves watching and walking with you. But you have to run your race. Close your eyes. By your heads. Just respect the moment. First, very simply, if what the Lord is calling you to is salvation, this Christianese word sometimes that we use that just simply means being made right with God. The Bible, it talks about being justified, meaning being made right. Everything about who you are and were, the sinfulness of your life, getting set straight before God and beginning a personal relationship with Jesus. If that's you, and that's where you find yourself as we talk, is it's like, man, I got a bunch of stuff that I want to do better I want to try again, but ultimately I can't do any of it the right way if I don't begin walking with Jesus. And that's where you find your heart tonight. And I want you to just raise your hand. If you want to give your life over to Jesus, you can just raise your hand. Cool. You can put it back down. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Can we all stand together? If you raise your hand and you want to receive Jesus, what I want you to do right now is I want you to just like tap the shoulder of the person standing next to you and I want you to tell them, hey, that was me. I want you to pray with me. We're all going to pray together, but I want somebody near you to know if you'd be willing to be honest and real so that we can walk through this together. Let's start here. Repeat, say this with me. Jesus, I love you. I give you my whole self. Everything I am. I don't know how to do this, but I trust you. Show me what to do next. I ask that you would be Lord 
of my life. I believe you are who you say you are. Now, for the rest of us, if you were willing, go ahead and look up at Matt, me. If you're willing, I think the rest of us could be, if we were honest, respond to this next part. If you feel like there's something the Lord's put in you that you're fighting, if you feel like you're even just at this place where you're just sort of like spent, because every time you initiate, someone obfuscates falls apart and it doesn't work. What I encourage you to do if you're in that place, tell somebody. We're going to spend a few moments at the altar together. Tell somebody. If you're like, hey, I'm just, I'm just spent. I don't want to have to do this again. I don't even want to have to have this conversation. But I know that I need to iterate because I can't let this thing rule me. Have that conversation. If you're at that place where you're just like, I know what I need to do, but I'm scared, or I doubt whether or not it could actually happen, or I just don't want to, and I need you to man or woman up. I need you to get honest before the Lord. Pour that out. Make a commitment. And then I want you to tell somebody what the commitment is that you just made. Yeah, let's start there. All right? I'm going to pray over you, and we're going to come forward to the altar so we can worship together. Jesus, we love you. We believe that you're going to move. We believe you're going to speak. Lord, we believe you're already moving and speaking. Would you be clear in this moment? May no person walk out of this room feeling like you said nothing and had nothing to say to them. May they recognize the impression upon their heart right now. May they read the words that you're writing on their hearts right now. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. Amen.